Hello, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, as we celebrated Easter together, Pastor Jen Zerby gave an encouraging word to all that we will never be left out in the kingdom of God. For in the same way that that dividing veil tore in two, Jesus has broken every single barrier between creation and the presence of God. And now, all are welcome. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can always find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace. Well, how many of you uh, have ever been to Disney? Disney World, Disneyland? Okay, let me try that the other way. How many of you have never been to Disney? Okay, perfect. I just wanted to see if I was the only person in the entire room or not. When my brothers and I were kids, our grandparents decided to do the grandparent thing and take us to Disney, except not all of us. I know. You can feel as sorry for me as you want. Despite the fact that I was less than two years younger than my brother Matt, my grandparents just took my two brothers to Disney because everybody in my life decided without me that I was too young to go. The plan was that they were going to take all of us again a few years later, but by then my oldest brother, who was six years older than me, was too cool. He didn't want to go, and so we went someplace else instead. And so to this day, at 42, I've never been to Disney. Yeah, thank you. If you have violins, feel free to, feel free to play them now. Being left out is an absolutely awful feeling, isn't it? Most of us experience that initially as a child. Your siblings are playing something and they don't include you. Or a group of your friends play something after school and they don't invite you. And the hard thing is that that feeling of being left out, it doesn't go away as an adult. In fact, I think on lots of levels it just becomes more complicated. I've told the story here before of being at a... Um, I was kind of forced to be at this particular pastor's gathering by a superior of mine, and, and I knew that it would be all men, and I knew that I was not really particularly welcome there. And it was the first gathering of, of this brand new season, and so they decided to pass around a clipboard to get everybody's names and addresses and information and all that on it. And uh, when it, the guy to my left finished, he took the clipboard and passed it behind my back to the guy to my right. I had the same degree and the same title as the guy to my right, but clearly I was not welcomed at that table. We live in a world that has dividing lines all over the place. And for some reason, the dividing lines seem harsher and deeper than ever before. Now, it can feel really good when you're on the inside. It always feels really good to be on the inside. But being left out can be not only deeply painful, but deeply damaging. The truth is that these dividing lines have existed forever. And no surprise to any of you, they existed in religion since the beginning of time. In the Bible, the Old Testament is filled with these stories of the Israelite nation and their dedication to God, or at least their attempted dedication to God. And one of the ways that they would express their faith in God is through worship. And so all the way back to the days of King David and King Solomon, and even before that, the, the Israelites built a temple 
where they would worship God. And that temple had several layers to it. This is a basic picture of what the temple would have looked like. You don't need to memorize that, don't worry. (laughs) So depending on where you were, there were places in the temple where you were allowed to go and where you were not allowed to go. So if you were a Gentile, which meant you were anybody other than a Jewish person, you weren't allowed in, in that particular inside at all. If you were a Jewish woman, you were relegated to what they called the court of women. They had very, very clear dividing lines in every single aspect of of their particular temple. And and where you were allowed to go was based on your level of importance in society. Then as you move into the sanctuary, or sometimes it was called the tabernacle, it looked like this. Now this is an incredibly oversimple, this is like what it would look like if I drew it. Like... (laughs) This is very, this is, it, it would have been beautiful and ornate in there, but I just want to give you an idea. Keep this one up just for a little bit. In order to go into the sanctuary, you had to be a, a, a particular priest or of, of the tribe of priests, right? And so they, the priests would go into the holy place on behalf of their people. And then that back room was the most holy place, which you may have heard referred to as the holy of holies. And that is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, you don't need to know anything about the Bible to know the Ark of the Covenant. You just need to have seen Indiana Jones. And you know what the, you know what the Ark is, right? The, it's the same, same. Either way. The Ark of the Covenant is what contained the Ten Commandments. And the Ark of the Covenant was the only thing that was inside the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And so from its name, you can assume that it was the most sacred place in all of existence for the Jewish people. They believed that the very presence of God existed in in the Holy of Holies. And so one day per year, just one day per year, one specific person was allowed into the Holy of Holies. Just one person, just one day. It was once a year on a day that they called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the chosen high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. The Day of Atonement was the most solemn day of all of the Jewish feasts and festivals. Before the high priest could even enter, he had to go through all kinds of rituals, which included kind of bathing and particular things that he had to wear. And then once he would complete those particular rituals, he was able to bring in the sacrifice. The idea behind this was that the high priest would bring in a sacrifice to atone for a year's worth of sins, for all of his people. And so it was a day and a ritual that was to be taken seriously. And they learned in the book of Leviticus that were he or anyone else to enter the Holy of Holies on any other day, they believed that they would die. It's pretty intense stuff, right? They believed that God's very presence was in that place, and since we are not worthy to be in the very presence of a holy God, they had to have something that would divide the holy of holies, from everybody else. And so they had a curtain there. And it was sometimes referred to as a veil. And no one but the high priest that one day a year was allowed beyond that curtain or that veil. It was the most important dividing line that they had. Now, you may be very fairly wondering why I'm giving you an Old Testament Jewish lesson on Easter Sunday, but I'm telling you this this morning because that curtain or that veil pertains to you specifically. For real, hear me out on this. 
I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew if you want to follow along. There's Bibles in front of you. We'll have it up on the screen or you can just listen along from Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 45. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So it says that at the very moment of Christ's death, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, it would be really easy for us to think, well, that's, that's no big deal. There was an earthquake. Scripture says that there was an earthquake when, when Jesus died. And so if there was an earthquake, I'm sure all kinds of stuff broke, and I'm sure all kinds of stuff fell. I'm sure all kinds of stuff tore. But the first thing that we have to realize is that this curtain, this isn't the kind of curtain that you have like hanging in your kitchen, right? It's not even really the kind of curtain that you would see in a theater, although that's a little closer to what we're talking about. According to Jewish history, this particular curtain or veil would have been 60 feet long and 30 feet wide, so it's pretty big, but it also would have been four inches thick. The cultural writings around that time says that it would have taken 300 men to lift that curtain up. And to be very clear, the Bible does not say that the curtain fell down. It doesn't say that the curtain fell down when Jesus died. It says that the veil was ripped in two from top to bottom. How does a curtain that is four inches thick, that takes 300 men to lift up, not fall down, but tear from top to bottom? In my opinion, it was clearly an act of God, and it was not an accident. And the fact that it happened is life-changing for us today. Why? You see, the word veil in Hebrew means a screen or a divider or a separator that hides. What was this curtain hiding? It was hiding a holy God from a sinful humanity. This curtain was the very thing that separated us from getting close to God. We, in our, in our messy, sinful selves, were not worthy of being in the presence of a holy God. That is, until Jesus died. Look what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10, starting at verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, the veil, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience 
and having our bodies washed with pure water. Did you catch that? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain. And so for them at that time, it meant that they no longer had to wait for that one day a year when someone could enter the holy of holies on their behalf. That they no longer have to feel less than because they're not the high priest. Right? They are no longer in a situation where there's only one person who has access to God. But it also means that when Jesus said in his final words, it is finished and the veil tore, this is what is finished, the pathway for us to have direct access to God. Everything about that Jewish temple, in my opinion, screamed at people to stay away. There were entirely separate places for women and for those who weren't Jewish. There was an altar that people had to make all kinds of sacrifices on in order to stay faithful. Only certain people at certain times and certain days were allowed, and and only that one person behind this ginormous curtain that separated them from God. And so in my opinion, everything about that temple screamed, stay away, no trespassing, don't come near. You're not worthy, you're not qualified, you're not the right kind of person to be here. But then Jesus died and was raised again. And now we have these words from Hebrews 6. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Are you still with me? This means that the sacrifice that humanity used to have to bring to God to atone for our sins, Jesus turned himself into that sacrifice. He tore the curtain in two from top to bottom and took the place of that sacrifice on our behalf, which means that the line that separated us from free and direct access to God is gone forever. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of quasi-tuned out. Maybe somebody else dragged you here today. Maybe you're not super into church. Or maybe you're into church, but you're super not into Old Testament history. But you got dressed up and you showed up to please your parents or to set a good example for your kids or because it's Easter and you go to church on Easter. It's just what you do. And you maybe couldn't care less about this boring biblical history lesson. But here's the truth of what I believe. I believe that there is not one person in this room that is not impacted by what took place that day, if you want to be. Paul writes in the book of Colossians that when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, which condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When you, you could put your name in there, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins. That which stood against us to condemn us, that which separated us, is gone. And I know, I know it's, so, it's like the most cliche thing in the world for a pastor to be super excited about Easter. I know that it is, but I just, I can't help it. 
I love Easter, and I love this particular story, and I've only preached this one particular story once before, but I love this particular story about the veil because when the veil tore in two, the last dividing lines of the kingdom of God came crashing down. So to everyone here who has ever felt left out before, because that veil was torn, if you want to be in, you're in. Now, God wants to continue to make us more like him, as we grow in our faith, but there were no conditions around this sacrifice. There were no conditions around this gift of life with God forever. And I know, and I am sad to say, that more than any other entity in the world, it is the church who has tried to put conditions around what Jesus did on the cross and around who he did it for. More than any other thing, the church has damaged the idea of Jesus in our world, and I know that. And so if you're here this morning and you're kind of disenchanted with the whole Jesus thing, or you're disenchanted with the whole church thing, I get it. I really do. But I want you to hear this this morning. If you want to be in, you're in. No one gets left out. Despite what somebody in the church may have told you, despite what the church may have said over the years, Jesus died for you, and that curtain tore in two for you, and all that Jesus offers is yours if you want it. If you have made choices in your life that you're not proud of, and who hasn't, if there are particular decisions in your life that are weighing you down, that are stealing your joy, that are robbing life from you, Jesus came to free you from it. Let him If you're here this morning and you're struggling with some kind of addiction, he's not saying that once you give up your addictions, you can come to him. He's not saying, get clean first and then you can come to me. He's saying, come to me just as you are and I will help you get clean. If you are here this morning and you are weighed down by grief, that that kind of grief where it's a miracle that you're even standing at all today, if if you're stuck in a place that is so dark that you have to remind yourself to take a next breath Hear this. God is not waiting for you to pull your own self up by your bootstraps. And God is not asking you to get over it, as the world often tells you to do. Instead, from the book of Isaiah, God says, Don't panic. I am with you. There's no need to fear, for I am your God. I will give you strength. I will help you. I will hold you steady and keep a firm grip on you. If you're here this morning and you have been a good church person your whole life, you've just been trying to do the right thing and to show up to everything and serve everyone and serve everywhere, hoping that God will love you more if you just work a little harder and be a little better, then hear this. Jesus did not die on the cross for you to earn your way to God. If you believe that you have to be or to do a certain thing to win God's approval, then you have been living with a tainted version of the gospel message. You cannot earn God's love. God's love is a gift, and it is freely offered. And if you're here this morning and you fall into one of those categories, or you think you fall into one of those categories of people that God could never love, then I especially, I especially want to speak to you this morning. If your family or your friends or your past or the church has in any way ever made you feel as if you are beyond God's reach, 
beyond God's love, beyond God's redemption, then I want to tell you right now that that is a lie straight from the depth of hell. If because of mistakes that you have made or because of people that you have harmed, because life has thrown things away or you have thrown things away in this life or or there are things that you can't seem to overcome or grief that you don't know how to get over or shame that you are drowning in, if because of any of those things you believe that God cannot reach you, you are wrong. If someone has told you that because of your financial situation or your sexual identity or your gender or your status or your past or your family history that you cannot be loved by God, that is a lie. Hillcrest people hear me say this often, but Jesus did not endure betrayal and shame and pain and death on the cross so that we could decide who is in and who is out. He did not endure heartbreak and agony just for us to say that his sacrifice wasn't good enough. He did not endure abandonment and struggle just for us to say that we are not worth being reached or loved or saved. We waste so much time in this life trying to sew that stupid curtain back up as we settle for less than what God offers us. So much time trying to build walls that keep people out. Trying to make the dividing lines thicker and more rigid. Do we really want to spend our time that way? Do we really want to spend this little time that we have on earth sewing that curtain back up? And for what reason? So that other people know who we think should be in or out? Doesn't that sound exhausting? Don't you want to stop playing that game? I'm so tired of who's in and who's out. I'm so tired of judging people based on their race or their gender or their identity or their political leaning or any of the thousand of other ways that our culture keeps trying to tell us that we should be divided. Are we really not capable of loving people with whom we disagree? And if we're honest, isn't that whole game based not in our arrogance but in our insecurities? Because if we deem that somebody else is out faster than they can tell us that we're out, then we get to be in all the time. But Easter offers us another way. Friends, even though this story never changes, we celebrate Easter with such magnitude every year and every week, really, because it's the greatest thing that has ever been offered to us. It is Excuse me, it is freedom and it is life, both abundant and eternal. And not just that, but in Christ, we are also offered the things that our souls crave, inclusion and acceptance and forgiveness and purpose. The one who created the universe and all within it passionately loves you. You are worthy to God because you are loved by God, because you belong to God, because you were made by God. I know you probably didn't come here this morning thinking that you would hear a message about some curtain 2,000 years ago. But I want to leave you, I want you to leave here knowing that the moment that that veil tore in two, everything changed. Every time we build a new dividing line, every time we act as though we know who is in and who is out, it's as if we sew some portion of that curtain back together. 
But those dividing lines were never God's intention for us, and so we will never prevail at that. The veil has been torn once and for all. Christ is risen. All are welcome, and hope is alive. Let's pray. God, I know that sometimes when we read the Bible, it seems really hard to connect to some of the stories and some of the things that happened. And so, God, I just give you thanks this morning for the reminder that what happened in the temple that day meant so much more than some silly curtain falling. That it's the reminder, Lord, of how you intended for us to live, which is that all are in. That all who call on the name of Jesus are in, period. You never meant for us to have any of these other dividing lines in life. You never meant for any of us to ever look at another person made in your image and think that they are out or think that they are less. And so God, in a world that is losing hope, would you help us to be your hope to the world? Would you help us to do our part, not of sewing that curtain back up, but of keeping it torn down? God, would you remind us that it is you that works on our heart and our soul and our lives? That it's, it's our job, Lord, to help bring people to know your love and that you will do the rest. God, may we be good examples of your love. And for those this morning, God, who just really need to hear from you, who maybe haven't made that step yet, who haven't said yes to you yet, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them directly right now. This isn't about guilt, and it's not about shame. You love us. You took what belonged to us upon yourself so that we could have access to you all of the time and forever, and so that we could have life abundantly here and now and forever. Help us to know, Lord, that not one person in this room is outside your reach. God, we thank you that we get to celebrate Easter today. It is the greatest day in all the world. We thank you for this good news. We thank you for this hope. We thank you, Lord, that you are alive. In your risen name we pray. Amen.